Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week it is a rewatch game day. We are hopping in the DeLorean and going back to 2011 to break down one of the best games in 49ers history. That's right. It's the 2011 divisional game against the Saints. And with me this week, the Marty McFly to my Doc Brown. It's David Newman. Uh, how's it going? It's going well. I, I'm enjoying myself. I'm enjoying thinking about flux capacitors uh, and you in a puffy vest uh, playing Huey Lewis in the trying news to get to 88 miles an hour, man. That's how I live my life. During some of the dead zones in the NFL season, we thought it'd be fun to go back and watch some old games that we, you know, that we had fun watching originally, that we enjoyed, that we thought would be fun to break down with a modern view, even though, God, it doesn't feel like this game was too long ago, but it's almost a decade at this point. Um, and and we're, we, so, we're so old. I mean, we're probably not as old as you think, but we're older than you think we are. Um, <laughs> but you've got, Fair. especially with, with Joe Staley's retirement and, and the Alex Smith E60, it, it, I thought it was just good to go back and revisit this season and this year. And originally, I wanted to do a game that, that kind of predated the podcast. And this was the season right before the podcast started. We started the podcast in May of 2012. So it was just after the first Harbaugh season. And so we, we just cleared that threshold. There was a slim chance that I was going to make you go back and watch some of those like 07 Alex Smith games because that, that would have been say, fun Yeah, too. I had to remind you that we didn't actually have any pods for this season because uh, I was not trying to go back and watch a, a 2007. Like you said, these were supposed to be games that we enjoyed watching the first time around. <laughs> not trying to go watch that garbage from the late 2000s. Well, this game, I mean, you, you think of the 2011 season and this was just a year removed from fans at Candlestick screaming, we want car because they wanted to bench Alex Smith. Just think about that for a moment. And now we zoom forward to the divisional playoffs with the 49ers playing the New Orleans Saints. This was the 49ers first playoff game since Jeff Garcia played a playoff game in 2003. This is a former NFC West rival. This Saints team came in hot. And they were one of the favorites to win it all. And, and the Niners played the, the Saints in the preseason, and some of the bad blood started there. The story of the divisional game really starts in the playoffs because that was a brutal game for Alex Smith and the 49ers coming off of what was effectively no offseason because it was a strike-shortened offseason. Right. So, I mean, this was the offseason that we had the Alex Smith-led, you know, player-only workouts while the lockout was still happening. And um, I think... A lot of, I mean, I remember firmly being in the camp that like once Harbaugh got hired, it was like, we're finally going to move on from Alex Smith. I'm tired of this shit. Like I, I remember feeling very excited about like starting over at quarterback and just looking to go with something different then. And so like entering the season, it was kind of a letdown, right? You, you stuck with this guy that you're like, oh my God, I'm tired of watching this guy be terrible for so long. And then they end up having the season that they had. Um, was just like, I mean, an incredible turnaround. And, and the, the stuff that they had, I mean, you mentioned the preseason game there was just wild. Some of the stories that, that came from Matt Barrow's oral history on, on kind of that preseason game and how everything played out there. Yeah, one of, the, one of the fun notes from that game is from Zach Streif, former offensive lineman for the Saints. And, and he talked about why that preseason game went so crazy for the 49ers because they got blitzed basically out of their minds 
And the rumor that went around was, which was basically true. It was that Sean Payton had called Jim Harbaugh to figure out how the game was supposed to be played. Apparently, this is something that happens in the preseason amongst coaches. They give each other a call. They're like, how are we going to do this? And Jim Harbaugh wouldn't take the call. And so Sean Payton basically said, fine, he doesn't want to talk to us. There's no rules. Do whatever you want. And Greg Williams, in typical Greg Williams fashion, says, awesome. I'm going to hit the quarterback on every play because that's what Greg Williams does. And so that's why in the preseason game, it was blitz after blitz after blitz, which is not something you see often. And, and Alex Smith really took a beating in that preseason game. Yeah, not something you see often in a typical preseason game, and especially not something that I think you would expect going into that particular preseason, right? Because of everything that happened with the lockout, like you're already expecting some like pretty early, you know, day one install type stuff that that is going to be the the type of things that you're running in that first preseason game. And uh, you would expect that to be even more dialed down in an off season in which you didn't have a full set of practices, right? So you're kind of further behind uh, with all of your install than you typically would be at that point. And, And so, yeah, it was just a, uh, a situation where you kind of go into the game expecting it to be pretty vanilla. We're just going to kind of go shake some roughs off and and then you get blitzed every single play and you have your starting quarterback getting the hell beat out of him. Like not something that you're, you're really expecting in that situation. And so you've got the backdrop of that preseason game already going on, but then you have the 49ers who are of course the, the upstart team, the young team that is now seemingly putting things together and the hotshot coach But then you have the Saints, who are coming in with maybe the best offense in the Sean Payton-Drew Brees era. This Saints team was rolling teams left and right. They were on an eight or nine game win streak. They had 600 yards of offense against Detroit in the wild card game. And this quote comes directly from Vic Fangio, because it's not just like, oh yeah, this is just a good offense. It's Brees, it's Payton. This offense was uniquely good. Vic Fangio, in that oral history from Matt Barrows, is quoted as saying, at the time... I think they were the best offense I ever had to prepare for. Like this is one of the best defensive coordinators still currently in the game. And in 2011, this was the best offense he had ever had to prepare for. They were on a nine game win streak over 500 yards in each game and 600 yards in each of the last two games. This was an offense that was primed to just make history and roll through the playoffs and then they got to the divisional game. It was wild because I, I didn't remember, like, until we kind of started researching stuff for this game and, and actually went back to watch it, of course. Like, I didn't remember them being that good at the time, right? But it makes sense. I mean, this was the year, this is kind of peak of Jimmy Graham's powers. Like, this was, I, I think he was competing with Gronkowski the whole season for, uh, you know, like the most yardage by a tight end. Um, you know, you had Marcus Colston and this was Darren Sproles, Pierre Thomas breeze kind of at the peak of his powers there. Um, like, yeah, it was, it was wild looking back at like how well they produced that season. And especially like in the stretch leading up into the playoffs. And and this is a drew breeze with an arm that could actually go more than 12 or 13 games before, you know, you started to see the battery drain from his right (laughs) arm. He could actually still sling the ball late into the playoffs And this was the offense that the 49ers were facing. So you get to the game, you've got the setup, you've got the bad blood that's already been generated in the preseason by having the defense go after 
the, the quarterback. And of course, now we know what Greg Williams was doing in the locker room uh, slightly after that. But And then you've got just this juggernaut of an offense that is coming into San Francisco, an upstart team, and the opening drive, the Saints just are, start marching down the field. Just completely like hot knife through butter. It's just short pass, pass, pass. And then eventually they're in the red zone on a blink and you get a swing pass out to Pierre Thomas and the game completely shifts on one hit. Right. I mean, they took like nearly half of the first quarter up on this first drive. I mean, it was down uh, like somewhere into the eight minute mark area by the time that, you know, that that we get to the end of this drive here. And I mean, that hit. Uh, wow. I mean, what, like there's, there's so many things to like, look back at that, uh, differently about, right? Like one, I mean, it's a, it's still a phenomenal play and it was a play that maybe, uh, you know, really won them the game in, in a lot of ways. Um, but man, that shit would not fly today. Like that would have been a penalty. It may be an ejection from the game. Like it, it's so weird how much things have changed, just in that, you know, relatively short span, it feels like since this game and, and the way that we would view that type of play. Um, but it was, it was obviously such a huge moment. And it was the thing that, uh, again, I think really probably saved the 49ers from falling into a hole. And, and uh, I don't know that they would have been able to come back if they had to play catch up in this game, right? That was the first year that the helmet to helmet rule was, or that it, the, the rules were changed to penalize helmet to helmet hits. So I think it was still technically illegal back then, but the tolerance for those types of hits had <laughs> hadn't what, figured it out yet. Yeah, they definitely <laughs> had not figured it out. And, and so you, you get to that hit; it does change the game. You've got Dante Whitner; it's a fumble. I mean, that he was absolutely knocked out on his feet. I mean, he drops the ball, and it is a clear fumble because he is literally knocked out as though he just took a straight punch to the jaw. Because that's effectively what it was. <laughs> And, and he drops the ball, the Niners recover, and they're able to basically take points off of the board. And, and that started an avalanche of turnovers, basically, for the 49ers. And, and those turnovers are ultimately what saved them because the, the first big takeaway from the game after we finished watching it, we were, we were texting back and forth, and we're like, man, the 49ers offense was not good until it was. And that took some time. But for three yeah. quarters, they were real bad. Yeah, I mean, so obviously there there's a lot of fun moments in this game, and a, and a lot of them we're going to get to, and uh, you know things that you remember very fondly from it. But the Fort Niners offense for much of this game was not one of those things. Um, really, the only thing that set them up were those turnovers. I mean, um, the the second and third quarters were just completely abysmal. They they did couldn't get anything going at all. Um, the third quarter especially, like, um, they barely were able to, like, crack double-digit yardage on a drive, like, in, in any play there. And in the first quarter, while, yes, they ended up, you know, you, you end the first quarter with a 17 nothing lead, those were all set up by turnovers. Like, the only reason that they really were able to get those points on the board is because they were set up with field position that was fantastic, right? They had um, five of their first 10 drives started basically around midfield or better. So around like kind of their own 45 yard line or into to New Orleans territory. 
three of them were deep in New Orleans territory. So, I mean, they they were set up in some great situations. They were able to get points on the board when that happened. Um, but they weren't exactly like driving down the field and putting together solid drives. Like it was a struggle for them to really get anything going for most of this game. The struggle made the the payoff feel so much sweeter, I guess, at the end. But mm-hmm. you, you you look at the payoff and, and in quarters, or you look at the part before the payoff, quarters one through three, San Francisco's expected points added per play was negative. Every time they ran a play, they actually put themselves in a worse position to score, which is like re- a lot negative. Yeah. <laughs> like not not just like a little negative, like a, a lot of negative. They 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 would have been better off running the ball on every play than they would have trying to pass the ball and move it. Uh, and, and part of the reason was because Greg Williams took his strategy from the preseason game and said, let's run it back. And, and they blitzed the 49ers heavily. And I mean heavily. They blitzed the 49ers 30 of 46 passes, which is 65% is really high. If you look overall in a season, just for context, the, the league leader in blitz percentage over the course of a season is going to be like in the 40s. When you look at per game, sometimes it's not uncommon, but it's definitely not something you see often. And when you look at the blitzes on third downs, they blitzed the 49ers 9 of 13 third downs. And, and so overall, it was just like, okay, you've got Crabtree, you've got Vernon Davis, and then you've got Kyle Williams and Brett Swain. Uh, and and Ted Ginn, who at that point, you know, wasn't the Ted Ginn that had kind of reformed his career. It's like, yeah, we're going to blitz. We're going to man up. And and that's exactly what Greg Williams decided to do. And, and for a large part of the game, it worked. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to find a lot of fault with that game plan, right? When you look at really what they had from a supporting cast standpoint, I mean, it was... Uh, what was largely, again, a very good offensive line. Um, obviously got Frank Gore back there, Vernon Davis, Crabtree, and then it just fell off a cliff at that point. What was your um, note when we, so we were comparing notes after we watched the game. What was your <laughs> note about, uh, about what, <laughs> the wide receivers? Uh, I had, I mean, there was one specifically where I started really, I mean, I, I, I heard the announcers mention Swain like once or twice, and then I kept seeing him in there and I just like had a, a note in there. It was like, get Brett Swain the fuck out of here. Like, why, why is this a situation that you're finding yourself in where you're having to put this guy on the field? Like, it's just insane to look back on my, my note when, when Alex Smith drops back and throws the, the, just the fade to Brett Swain in all caps, my note is Brett fucking Swain. It's like, that. it's just like, why, why? I don't understand. Yeah. How? So it was like, I mean, it was really bad. And, and so you would see a lot of situations. And so I think this is when you get into some of those blitzes, right? And I think on third down, like it impacted their ability, um, you know, on, I think on all the downs, right. We, we just talked about how poor their offense was for really three quarters and they were ending up in a lot of third and long situations. And that really just kind of fed into, again, this blitz heavy scheme that, that new Orleans was running. so you're getting into a situation where nothing is really in sync and you couldn't get all parts of the offense kind of like firing at the same time. Right. So, I mean, when you think about it and what you need to, to successfully like beat the blitz, right. You're uh, you need to obviously protect your offensive line to do a good enough job to give the quarterback time to get the ball out. You need receivers 
uh, on the outside that are actually getting open and giving the receiver or the quarterback a place to throw the ball. And then obviously you need the quarterback to make the right decision. He needs to, um, you know, make sure he's finding the right spot, getting the ball out on time, making sure he's not holding on to it too long. Um, and so that, that, that pressure has extra time to arrive and they just couldn't get all three of those things on any one play. So the first thing that you look at is just some of the misprotections. And some of this was, was really some fundamental stuff. Some of it was just lapses from one player to another. But you've got plays where they're setting their protection and they're sliding over to players that are clearly in man coverage. Like th- There was a play where you've got someone out covering Vernon Davis. And, and Vernon Davis is in a tight split. But it's pretty clear that the player is manned up on Vernon Davis. And yet they slide the line over. That leaves a free rusher to the right-hand side. And all of a sudden it, it starts to screw things up. And and those are some basic things that I think a team that has a bit more time, even over the course of a season, right? You didn't have a ton of time to practice. You, you don't get to see a blitz-heavy scheme outside of maybe the first preseason game. And, and so, yeah, you can understand how some of these things are not going to go well when this is still, all things considered, a team in its first year in that system that is not, um, it's a voluminous playbook, to say the least. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and so you can see how some of this stuff definitely falls through the cracks. Right, and it, and it wasn't like they weren't you know trying to protect Smith. A lot of these plays, they had the numbers to be able to pick everything up, right? They, they would end up with a free rusher, but it wasn't because they didn't have enough guys that were in there to block. It was because of you know either miscommunications with the protection and not getting it set correctly, guys just straight... Um, you know, either getting beat or kind of like individual blown assignments where you have like one guy that's clearly not on the same page and not doing the same thing that everybody else up front is is looking to work to. Um, and so they had had things like that. And then even when you would get the good protection, though, and, and they would actually get everything blocked up and picked up there was always something, you know, with the other parts of it that, that wasn't there, right? You had plays where um, Alex Smith would be like a little off target and that led to, um, you know, like there was one where he he left it a little high and it was dropped. Um, there was another one where it was kind of a combination. Now um, Snyder gets bowled into his lap there and, and on a slant that he's trying to throw to Crabtree. And so he ends up not being able to step into the throw and it sails a little bit on him. That gives the cornerback that's covering Crabtree an angle to get his hand in there and be able to knock it down. Um, there were other plays where the, the 49ers receivers just couldn't get open, right? They couldn't beat that man coverage. Um, and, and so by the time that, you know, Smith would hit the last step in his drop, he'd be looking to get the ball out. Nobody was there. And then pressure was arriving late. Right. And so they just couldn't get all of those things going at once. And, and it, and it killed them because they just kept, um, you know, being unable to convert these third down situations and stay on the field and, and having to punt the ball away. So overall, the offense definitely had some issues and some trouble. But in order to start breaking out of that, you need offense to come from somewhere. Uh, and it didn't come always from the best, most amazing hands in football. Crabtree didn't have a solid game, dropped a couple of passes, despite the fact that I was told it was impossible for him to drop passes. Jim Harbaugh back lied to me. Back to back. Back to back <laughs> plays. Like two consecutive plays. The greatest hands that have ever existed on this earth couldn't hold on to the football. Jim Harbaugh. It's just mind-boggling. Jim Harbaugh looked me in the eye and lied to me, and I will never recover. I will never I recover. Uh, but the offense came from somewhere. And where did that offense come from? Damn it, it came from Captain Torpedo himself, Vernon Davis. <laughs> Vernon Davis was the offense for the 49ers in this game. Whenever the Niners needed a big play, 
it was going to be Vernon Davis and maybe a big run from Frank Gore, which we're going to break down a little bit later. But the first play that really started to unlock this offense happened early on in the game, and it was the first touchdown. And it's a really interesting play that isn't anything super special, but it was the beginning of the live by the blitz, die by the blitz that ultimately would help the Niners win the game because Greg Williams, it being a passing down, it being basically any down, was going to bring the blitz. So he's going to send the blitz. You've got Vernon Davis, who's running a crosser over the middle of the field. And because it's man coverage, basically Alex Smith is able to hit him on that crossing route. And then Vernon Davis does his thing where he's big and he's fast. and He's going to outrun a bunch of people and get into the end zone. And, and this idea where it's like, oh man, they're sending people. But when you finally get everything to work together, you get enough protection, you get a receiver who wins the route. And then Alex Smith makes a pass that's just on the money. All of a sudden you've got six points. That was the first touchdown that the Niners were able to score. And it really was an ominous sign for the Saints that they were able to put up points that quickly and move the ball that much when they were able to get their offense to work against the Blitz. Right. I mean, you saw some of the So in, in that um, oral history, you, you saw some of the Saints players talk about like once they got up late in the game there, you know, they kind of felt like they had it because this wasn't an offense that was really built to play well in a two minute situation, right? They'd kind of been Greg Roman even said as much in, in the oral history as well, that they had been for pretty much the entire season, a pretty conservative offense. Right. And so it wasn't uh, an offense that was really built to play from behind. And, and it was uh, an offense you would expect to be able to kind of score quickly and, and be able to put up that many points, um, you know, consecutively there, like they did kind of at the end of the game. And so, yeah, when you get that big play from Vernon Davis, that kind of breaks things open, um, it, it was it was so huge for them because, you know, if, if they had sat back and played maybe a little bit more zone, played a little bit softer, forced Alex Smith to kind of check it down, we, you know that he would have, right? He wasn't going to take a, be a guy that took a lot of risks downfield typically. Um, and so you could have played a little bit softer and forced probably a more conservative approach. But by playing uh, man, sticking with that same strategy, bringing the blitz, um, you know, you gave him the window to create that big play. And so you get to another big play. It was just really a deep fade or seam route from from Vernon Davis that where Alex drops another just drop in the bucket play. Beautiful over the shoulder Vernon Davis catch. And then you get to the fourth quarter. And the fourth quarter is where things really begin to break open. Because for basically three quarters, it's the Niners defense taking the ball away from the Saints whenever they're able to drive the ball down the field. And then the Niners offense sputtering or kicking a field goal because they have positive field position. Well, now it's the fourth quarter. Things are really beginning to heat up, and the Niners have got to get a drive. And in that fourth quarter, when they need that play, it's Vernon Davis who comes to the rescue. It's a play that in Harbaugh's playbook is called Z-Gash X-Shim. And Gash is the primary option. It's a seam route that attacks the safety. And again, you've got Greg Williams who's blitzing. Well, the alert on this play when you blitz is a crossing route to the Y, and that in this case is Vernon Davis. And so you've got Alex Smith who's seeing the alert. He's like, this is man coverage. They're coming for the blitz. He throws an absolute beautiful play to Vernon Davis on another crossing route. And that is what really begins to unlock the, the offense. Because like you said, this offense wasn't one that was really built to score in bunches. It wasn't going to be a quick strike offense. It's one that was built off of matriculating the ball down the field slowly with Frank Gore and getting four or five yards every now and again, maybe a slant to Crabtree just not super explosive, but still was able to move the ball down the field. And now all of a sudden you get the big chunk play that you need 
in order to get down the field. I got to say, like, watching that play again, it still to this day makes me uncomfortable watching Vernon Davis try to hold on to a football. Like, uh, I was talking about this before we started recording, and it's like, it's not the, like, ball security where where you get the guy that's, like, holding the ball, like, palming it one-handed, right? Ball security is for cowards type, like, cockiness. Like, I don't give a shit about this. It's like... Did you ever learn how to hold a football properly? Like, this is so bizarre that a player that athletic could look this uncoordinated trying to do one of the most basic things about the sport. Like, it's just weird. And on that play, like on on the deep crosser that he hits and he kind of breaks out into the open a little bit and he's just holding on to this football like an idiot. And and you're just like hoping the whole time that he like hangs on to it and it doesn't get swatted out of his hands. But Hey, I guess it worked for the guy. I'm not here for the slander of the entirety of the 49ers offense on this day, on this game. You you put some respect on Vernon Davis right now because oh if it God, were not was for amazing. Vernon Davis. <laughs> it was amazing. He was just it's just one of those things that stands out like every time you see a good Vernon Davis play, it's like, wait, is he holding on to the ball like that? <laughs> it does it does look a bit like he's hugging a pineapple. Like he's just like holding it in the quick of his arm. Too close, because like, ah, man, it's gonna gonna stab me in the ribs here. Yeah, it does look a bit like he's he's holding a pineapple, indeed. Um, So you've got those. I mean, three huge plays, right? A deep crosser for a touchdown in the first quarter, a deep fade later on in the game, and then on that fourth quarter drive that the Niners really need to get going, you've got another crossing route on an alert play from Alex Smith and a beautiful throw, and then of course you've got the Vernon post play, the game winning play. And it was the second play that was installed specifically for this Saints game by the 49ers offensive staff. The 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 scouting for this play was basically Jeep Christ, who was an assistant for the Panthers. They used to play the Saints, you know, two games a year, and they spotted a tendency in the red zone where they had the safety line up just like a yard or two deep in the end zone. So they knew they'd have a window if you targeted that player with a post. And just the absolute timing and trust from Alex Smith, the throw from Alex Smith to hit that ball. I mean, he hits his drop. Foot hits, throws the ball on time. Vernon Davis hugs that pineapple super tight to his chest, comes down with it, makes the catch. Uh, And then you've got tears on the sideline. I mean, if not for Vernon Davis, I don't know what the hell the Niners do in this game. Right. I mean, the thing about that coverage is it's not like they played it poorly, right? So it was, again, specifically to attack like the very coverage that they ended up playing on that play. Right. So they kind of expected to get it, got what they were hoping for and the saints played it very well. Right. So there's kind of two component, two players that could really become a factor on that throw. Right. There's first the safety um, that you mentioned, right. Who's uh, kind of sitting there a couple steps deep into the end zone and is kind of sitting there flat footed and is going to have to drive downhill on it. And then you have the underneath player, right? You have the linebacker uh, that's going to be kind of like looking to carry this a little bit and stay underneath it and and make sure that there's not a bunch of space underneath the safety, you know, so that the, the, so that Vernon Davis can't just kind of bend it inside and have a, a, a big old wide open hole for him to throw to. Right. So what they're trying to do is they have another route to Vernon Davis's side. That's right at the stick. So this is a third and four play. Wouldn't be unreasonable for them to try to just, you know, okay, we're going to get the first down here, bleed some more time, get a little bit closer for the field goal. So it's not like it would be unusual for a linebacker in that case to be a little bit more eager to step up and, and play that shorter route that's right at the sticks. 
but he doesn't. He keeps sinking back. He gets great depth. Like he's underneath this route. And literally like if Alex Smith throws this even a beat of a second later than he actually does, this isn't completed. Like there, there is very little window for that throw to be made. Uh, and he puts it, he throws like, again, like you mentioned, the timing is just absolutely perfect puts the ball in the only spot that he can really put it. Um, and, and it wasn't, you know, again, a situation where this is a bad defense, um, bad play call, you know, something that they're taking advantage of that New Orleans just did poorly. Like this was just, uh, you know, two players for the 49ers making a fantastic play at a key moment. Great execution in this case beats great defense. And that was the second play installed specifically for this game. The first play, of course, is... Perhaps Joe Staley's, you know, most iconic play of his career. And that's the quarterback sweep, which gets the touchdown that the 49ers think is the go-ahead touchdown against the Saints. But, of course, we know they need Vernon Post to win the game at the end. This, this play is the play that puts Joe Staley's athleticism on display. So you've got a quarterback sweep play. It's installed for the Saints. Jim Harbaugh said that the idea behind the play and, and the reason they called it in this situation is because it's a third down play. They wanted to get a first down without taking a sack that would take them out of field goal range. And they knew that the, that, that the Saints had a tendency to blitz internally and play man. No shit. And, and so <laughs> they basically overload blitzed to one side. They called the play to the boundary side, the short side of the field, and it's a crack block from Kyle Williams, who's coming in motion. And, and Greg Roman said it was basically a roll of the dice. Like the fact that he called it to that side and the fact that they saw the overload blitz from the other side, that's just kind of how it happened. And they, they didn't expect necessarily that, that overload from that side. If they call it to the field side and, and they get a blitz right into that play, we're not talking about the Niners winning this game. We're talking about the Saints blowing this play up. So it's, it's both a little bit of scouting, a little bit of preparation, but also a little bit of luck. That, that put this play together and, and had it be one of the more iconic plays and probably one of the, the, the most iconic plays in Staley's career. Yeah, I mean, it's wild. You look at it, too, uh, pre-snap, and it's just like Alex Smith had to be just nervous as all hell like before that player. I don't know. Maybe he's just giddy because it's like you do see to the opposite side, um, you know, into the boundary side, like you mentioned, is where they got the blitz. Uh, coming from there and there are just a lot of bodies over to that side of the field and so when you look at out to the wide side where they're going to run this play there's not a whole lot there you got two guys that are manned up on the two receivers that are over there one of them is coming in motion back into the formation with Kyle Williams right and he actually uh, is is pretty bad here so Kyle Williams motions down ends up cracking on the defensive end and that corner that's playing him in man coverage like doesn't recognize the crack and just like thinks he's going in motion across the the field or maybe running a shallow crossing route right after the snap. And he keeps running across the field away from where the play is going on it. So you're removing a defender that would have likely been um, free or would have like presented himself to Staley earlier on the play. And so that's what frees up Staley to be able to make the block on the safety, who was the final defender that really had any sort of shot um, to make a tackle on this play. And so by having that corner run across the field and basically take himself out, that's how they were able to get everybody accounted for. And this turned into uh, a touchdown instead of maybe just a first down. So the 49ers offense overall, not good until it was, and it was largely on the back of a couple of dimes from Alex Smith and Vernon Davis, who really willed the game forward for the 49ers. 
But there were a couple of unheralded plays and a couple of plays that don't get the limelight. And this is one of the things that I was super excited to talk about because we, we know this game. I mean, these plays for me are ingrained in my brain. The, the quarterback sweep, Joe Staley, the, even the way that Alex Smith like lets the ball go underhanded behind him and starts lifting his legs up, like that image is ingrained in my brain. I'm never going to forget that. I'm never going to forget Vernon Post crying off the field. Like Those things are always going to be there. But there are a couple things I didn't remember when I was watching this game that I thought would be really interesting to review. And, and the first thing for me, the first unheralded thing that I think doesn't get enough credit is the moments where the secondary really shined. Because there was a, a play for every single one of the secondary players where they made a play that kept the Niners in the game or completely tilted the game and allowed the Niners to stay in, uh, in the game. Every single one of them had one. You've got the forced fumble from uh, Whitner to open up the game, which we talked about. You've got a Deshaun Goldson interception that, again, the Saints are driving, and Goldson picks uh, Breeze off. And this is a player that did not have very many interceptions in 2011. You've got Carlos Rogers. You have Terrell Brown. All of these players had plays that kept the Niners in the game. And without these wins by these individual players who you think of the defense for the 49ers in 2011 and 2012, everyone talks about Willis and Bowman in the front. Everyone talks about Alden Smith and the Smith brothers. And every, the kind of rap on the secondary is like, oh, they weren't very good. They were only good because they had that front seven. Well, this secondary made some actual individual I'm good at football plays against the Saints. And it's one of the reasons that they won the game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the one of the things that stuck out most was how much these guys were going after the ball, right? And and this was, you know, I think uh, some of the plays that we were going to talk about with the secondary there stood out specifically, but the whole defense, especially throughout that first half, I mean, there were, they had the five turnovers, you know, that, that we mentioned, and that came, all five of those turnovers came before the 11 minute mark in the third quarter. Um, there were two other plays that were like near fumbles, right? There was a play that uh, Willis ripped the ball out, um, of of the runner's hand I forget who it was like kind of as the pile slowed up there and they ended up calling forward progress on it um I think Whitner had another near force fumble where the knee was down um just before the ball popped out like they were going after the ball and looking to create these big plays and 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 everyone kind of got in on the act and it was uh I think a lot of them at key moments I mean the Whitner one we already talked about right like really kind of saved um I think the 49ers early and prevented them from being in a situation where they had to play from behind for most of the game. Um, you know, the Goldson interception was a, a play where they really set them up in the offense up in great field position, allowed them to get points on the board and, and kind of was, uh, you know, just came after them first getting, getting their first touchdown of the game offensively. And so it just really kind of kept things rolling for them and, and allowed them to capitalize on it. But then, Carlos Rogers, you know, I, I think that was one of the things that I uh, definitely did not remember um, that stuck out as we rewatched it. Like he had two huge pass defenses in the third quarter um, that that really prevented like one of them. If he doesn't get it, like we're talking potential touchdown. And then two plays later on that same drive has another pass defense on a third down that forces them to punt like just huge plays all around from all four of those guys. You look back to the Golds and interception, and this was the one that really, this was after the Whitner hit. This is the play where you're like, okay, this defense is playing out of its mind, and Breeze may look a little bit vulnerable here. I thought this play was super interesting because it's effectively a simulated pressure. 
And simulated pressure is something that was written about in like 2018, 2019, especially with positionless defenses in the NFL. But simulated pressure, I don't think was a huge thing that defenses were known for, something that was out there that defenses did a ton in 2011. And yet you've got Vic Fangio effectively running a rush for players to make it look like a blitz, but you still drop in a safe coverage. You've got a, a cover three shell, but you've got Rodgers who was playing in the slot, blitz, and then you drop Alden Smith on the opposite side. It looks like a fire zone, but you're still only rushing four and you're dropping your coverage players and you're getting everyone deep. And, and Breeze just simply loses Deshaun Goldson in coverage and Goldson's able to make a break on the ball and get the interception and get a huge return back inside either the 10 or the five yard line. And so I think that this is one of those plays where Fangio is, is just a good defensive play caller and he's got so many tricks up his sleeve he got Breeze with one, and then you have a fantastic individual play from Goldson to be able to get that interception. Yeah, and it was really just a it was a strange play to see from Breeze. Like you don't really see him lose track of coverage players to that degree, and and like um, really kind of misread things. I mean, the the guy that he ends up going to, uh, you know, is is probably the right throw to make, but he doesn't make like the correct throw to get it there, right? He tries to put it on a line. Um, really, is a throw that put it should have probably had some more air under it and kind of let him because he does have a chance to get it there. I mean, um, you know, Whitner is the guy that's kind of rotating down and looks to be carrying that seam route, and he kind of gets caught a little flat footed, and this receiver just runs by him. And Breeze is in a situation where he just misreads it and thinks that Goldson is going to be sticking on the inside receiver who is also kind of running a deep cross right at him um, and thinks that that he's going to stick there and that he's got this open throw and he can just kind of put it on a line right to the receiver. But Goldson does a great job of continuing to read where Breeze is looking, sees him hitch up and, and move back to, to that seam um, and just has a great break on the ball to jump in front of it and pick it off. And it was just, yeah, it was a great play by Goldson and, and then just, again, a strange play to see from Breeze him making that sort of mistake. You mentioned a couple of plays from Carlos Rogers. I mean, he absolutely had, he was single-handedly a drive killer when the Niners were up 20 to 14. I mean, at this point, the Saints are clawing back and the 49ers offense is completely stuck in neutral. And he's got two forced incompletions on three plays. On first down, it's probably his most impressive one because he single-handedly saves an absolute touchdown here. And this is probably a video that we're, we're going to break down on the Patreon and, and actually show you the video for this. But it's basically a cover four look. And the concept that the Saints throw at the Niners has Rodgers one-on-one. And it's basically a deep post. Rodgers is actually on the back of the receiver. The receiver has him stacked. He's kind of beat. But he's able to recover, get his, his left hand on the ball and knock it away at the last second. That's six, if not for Rodgers. And at this point, the game completely changes in complexion if the, if the Saints are able to go up 21 to 20. And so he saves the touchdown. Two plays later, breaks up a slant on third down. That one single drive was basically Carlos, Carlos Rogers making his money. Yeah, I mean, they had, they had crossed midfield. You know, the first down play is them kind of looking to take a shot. You know, we're early down situation. Let's try to see if we can um, get one over their heads in the end zone. And, and it is a play that he doesn't have any safety help, right? He is kind of uh, essentially locked up one-on-one with that outside receiver. 
steps up, makes the big play downfield and, and gets it. And then you get two plays later, the third down play to, to basically force them to have to punt right there. Again, moving the ball, they're into San Francisco territory. It's a drive where they're likely at that stage expecting to get some sort of points on the board. And he was the one that single-handedly stopped that drive. And then you've got Terrell Brown out of Texas, Hook'em Horns, DBU. Absolutely love it. Great individual play. The guy, he looks compared to everyone else like he's like five foot two. Um, he does not look like a big dude, but he's still able to get a, a pretty fantastic interception running with that wide receiver down the sideline and making an individual play. I mean, every single one of the starters at this point, both safeties, both starting corners, have either a fumble or an interception or a forced incompletion to save a touchdown. Like these are all plays where you yep. win and you stop the offense and, and you're stopping the most explosive and dynamic offense in the NFL at the time. And, and so, yes, the offense really needed to rely on the defense in order to make that happen um, because it just, the saints were churning. And if not for that secondary, I, I don't know how this game maybe is very, very different when it comes to the Niners getting blown out or the, the saints just continuing to roll or however this is going to turn out. Yeah, I mean, they, they certainly weren't perfect. You know, I mean, Breeze still ended up with nearly 500 yards passing, um, but they had some huge plays. You know, I think the Whitner and Goldson specifically had probably some plays that they wanted back. You know, they were really heavily involved in some of those plays late in the fourth quarter with some missed tackles um, that, that really gave New Orleans a chance there late. But um, without those huge plays that they had to kind of keep things uh, close and keep the 49ers ahead while their offense was struggling for those first three quarters. Um, you know, this game could have very easily been a, a pretty big blowout in favor of New Orleans. One of the other unheralded plays that, that I didn't remember when I was watching the game, but then rewatched it and, and broke it down and was like, Oh man, that was pretty close to, to disaster was Frank Gore's run in the, was it the fourth quarter where the, it's a trap play or was yep. it the third? Yeah. Fourth quarter where again, the offense is, pretty it's 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 not doing anything since the first quarter they weren't able to do much and then the fourth quarter everything unlocks the the Niners are running a trap play to the right side but the slant from the Saints defensive line actually screws everything up and they don't get that defensive lineman to penetrate and so Upati's pulling and he doesn't have anyone to hit normally this plays a disaster and instead, Frank Gore turns it into a 40-plus yard run. Yeah, I mean, got to give big props to Mikey Potty. He had actually, uh, you know, quite a few blocks in this game that really stuck out. And it was fun kind of remembering how well he fit this system and, and kind of like how good of a run blocker he was on some of these plays. Um, and he's this still was in the great- NFL. Like that's what's surprising. Yeah, I know, but me. he's not very good anymore. Not anymore, no. But it's just it, like we we think about how long ago this game was, and it and it does. It feels a long time ago. But there's still. I mean, Joe Staley just retired. Potty's yep. still playing. You know, Frank Gore is now. Uh, he's playing for. Uh, he signed with Adam Gase. Yeah. He. Uh, yeah. So it. Yeah. There's there's still a few a few players uh, that are still hanging around. It's weird. Yeah, it is weird to think that some of those guys are still around. But, but I mean, yeah, Iupati was like, you know, he fell off, I think, like pretty much as soon as he left San Francisco. He kind of became uh, mostly irrelevant and wasn't all that good of a player. But, I mean, he had some some excellent blocks in this game, you know, specifically in the run game. And, and this was one where I think his awareness, you know, really stood out. So, um, you know, typically with, with the trap, you're looking to – 
leave a defensive tackle, you know, a lot of times it's three techniques. So the guy that's kind of lined up on the outside shoulder of the guard, um, you're going to leave him unblocked and that guard's going to look to kind of get by him, get up to a linebacker, uh, you know, at the second level there, the tackle's going to either block. If he's got somebody outside of him uh, on the D line, he might get that. He might also get up to a linebacker, but you're going to leave that three technique unblocked and in space there. And then you're going to come with that puller from the opposite side and kind of kick him out and create that space right in the middle for the back to go through. And so what happens is that that three technique ends up rather. So as from an alignment standpoint, you're expecting him to be in the B gap, right? That's outside the guard between the guard and the tackle there. He slants inside a gap. So he's now in the a gap between the center and the guard and so the the guard makes a great play. This is uh, Adam Snyder at this point to recognize that he's got that slant. So he needs to bail from his initial assignment of, of trying to get up to the linebacker. He now needs to carry this guy who's crossing his face and stay on the defensive tackle. And then Iupati needs to recognize that that guy is no longer there. That means the linebacker is unblocked. And so I need to be able to wrap around now and almost kind of treat this more like a power play where I get up to the linebacker and, and get a piece of him. And both of those things happen and are executed excellently. And that's what allows Gore to get through and out into open space. And then he does what he does, which is, you know, be slippery for a little bit and then ultimately be slow and get caught from behind because he's Frank Gore and we love him. We, we love you, Frank Gore. But whenever he broke away, unless it was like, I don't know, on the plus side of like the 35, maybe the 40, <laughs> like that, that's how much juice he had in order to break away. If he had anything other than that, you knew my, you knew my dude was getting caught from behind. You yep, knew he was. Yep. And, and this was definitely <laughs> on, the, on the wrong side of the 50. So he broke free, but he eventually got caught. But th- this is a play that easily could have been another play where you're like, well, it's another two-yard gain, another four-yard gain, no big deal. But instead, Snyder and Upati were able to make something out of nothing. And Frank Gore read it beautifully and was able to get a 40-plus yard gain out of that run. It- it's so wild to think that just a couple of adjustments on the fly from linemen are, are really what changed that play from being complete disaster to being something. Um, and then, you know, Frank Orr being amazing. So it, just those little things, I think, that are super interesting that you don't typically remember. I certainly didn't notice it when I watched the game the first time that, that it's like, wow, those, you know, the, the secondary, the offensive line, Frank Gore, um, the, the living and dying by the blitz from Greg Williams, those are the things that ultimately helped tilt the game that that really you know this this was such a fun game overall and and it was interesting to see those things now with the eyes that we have now because I certainly didn't have these eyes back in 2011 before we started this whole thing yeah I mean it that that part is uh is interesting it's always like fun to go back and watch those games because I mean 2011 was yeah right when I kind of first started having thoughts of like I kind of think I want to take this football thing like a little bit more seriously and start like really getting into it, but certainly would not have been able to, to kind of pick up on, on most of this stuff, if any of it, as we were watching it through the first time. And so, yeah, it's, it's fun to go back and kind of see it through a, uh, you know, a bit more experienced eyes and, and pick up on some things that uh, you just didn't notice the first time around. There were so many plays like that, you know, in kind of those middle quarters, that were so big to keep the 49ers ahead. I mean, the, the Gore run, right, that was like the first positive offensive play they had since the first quarter, uh, essentially. And that was, you know, they ended up getting a field goal on that drive. Um, and that was, you know, part of kind of what got things going a little bit 
um, and, and just a play that ultimately is is largely overlooked because there were so many huge plays that were very memorable in that game. Now, overall, this game, you know, it, it had some really interesting postscripts. The the postscript that I think is kind of like most satisfying to me is that Saints fans voted this game as the most devastating game, uh, the most devastating playoff loss. This is from uh, the Times Picayune, Picayune. I don't know. We have to mispronounce something on every show. Um, oh, one of the other fun stories about this is is Joe Staley in the oral history talked about how his then girlfriend, now wife, was completely shit housed during the game. And and they usually would stay in tailgate in the parking lot after games at Candlestick because the traffic was just so bad. And so they would stay in the parking lot and hang out and maybe drink a beer or two. And all he wanted to do all he wanted to do after this game, after his first playoff win in his first playoff game, was have a beer and relax. And he had to take care of his girlfriend and her drunk friends and drive them all home. And by the time he got home, he was so tired that all he could do was go to sleep. So he didn't even get to have his celebratory beer oh, after the game man. because his girlfriend was drunk. Brutal. Absolutely brutal. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. It, I can't it, even imagine, man. Oh, I can. I can. My, my, that my wife. Be, that would be so rough. I love my wife, but she has been known to imbibe uh, one or two uh, <laughs> times her weight. <laughs> and she, uh, you know, she forgets that she's not, uh, you know, uh, a large, a large individual. So the, the other thing I think that jumped out at me, too, in terms of postscript and, and a little bit of ominous foreboding is the aggressiveness with which Kyle Williams was returning kicks. Because there was a play in the second or third quarter where he returns a one hop punt and you're just like, yeah. what are you doing? And when I watched the game, I was like, oh, God, that, like that you, you didn't learn your lesson because in the next game, of course, we all know what happens with, yeah. with the championship game and with the Giants. And in the final drive, he runs a ball out from the end zone and only gets it to the 15-yard line. Like the Niners start yeah. in, re in a really negative yarded situation because he's just aggressive with his return. And that's exactly what got him in the championship game. And that one hop, like to be clear, was like a one hop in traffic that like was v potentially very dangerous and was like would turn the ball over uh, in a very bad spot. Um, not just like an open field one hopper that he's fielding or anything there. Like, yeah, uh, turns out Kyle Williams wasn't a very good player all along. <laughs> Should have had Brett Swain back there. Oh my God. But yeah, I, I think like that was something like, you know, I would be, Le I don't know. I, I would almost said interested in watching, you know, the next game against the Giants, but I actually am not that interested in going back and watching it. <laughs> my my memory right now says that, like, you know, that was a, a big part of that game and why they lost it was because of how bad the receivers were and they just couldn't get anybody open. Right. Like that was kind of one of the things that really stuck with me from that game beyond the obvious things like the, you know, the, the Williams fumble and all that. Um, but yeah, it, it was something that showed up in this game. I mean, Vernon Davis was really the only guy that could manage to get anything. I mean, Crabtree, like, yeah, he had the touchdown that was kind of like a gimme on a on an easy slant route that he had there early in the first quarter. But otherwise, 
wasn't very good. And, and he was the target. Like he was the guy that they were looking to get involved on a lot of those third down plays that we were talking about, you know, with the blitz there. Like he was the one that was, this play was clearly designed to get him the ball open around the sticks or like, you know, maybe a little bit short and let him run after. Um, and, and he just wasn't very good in that game. And, and obviously the other receivers were largely garbage. And so um, that was something that, that really kind of stuck that like, yeah, they, managed to get through it in this one because the defense was able to come up with so many big plays and, and kind of keep them ahead and keep them in good situations offensively. Um, and that didn't come through in, in the Giants game. All right, so we've got a lightning round to wrap up this DeLorean-inspired episode. David, I've got a couple of questions for you. Answer with your gut instinct, your first go. I want no. to hear it as quickly as humanly possible. David, first question. Which was a better song from 2011, LMFAO's Party Rock Anthem or E.T. by Katy Perry and Kanye West? I don't remember the Katy Perry song, so but I'm still going to go with it because fuck that Party Rock song. <laughs> it's, it's Honestly, the Katy Perry song is objectively better, but it's, I'm glad you just went with that because, yeah, that, that Party Rock song is... But God damn it, it was catchy. It was so catchy. Kevin Cole, friend of the pod and data scientist at PFF, had a top comp for Brandon Ayuk in his article comparing uh, wide receivers from this draft class to uh, other players that comped like them in terms of what they brought to the table uh, from their college production and their physicality and, and where they were drafted. One of those players, the top comp actually, played in this game. Who was that player? You mentioned this not so long ago that I still remember it. Robert Meacham. That's right. It was indeed Robert Meacham. He was one of the illustrious wide receivers on that Saints team. Uh, had a couple plays too. Devery Henderson, another player I'd completely forgotten yep. about that also played. That for the I Saints remember like for some reason caring about probably because of fantasy football or something at the time, but it's like yep. accurate. Speaking of players that you had forgotten about, but were reminded from this game, name the player that you completely forgot about that you remembered in this game because of some contribution or some kind of a failure? Brett fucking Swain? I mean, <laughs> is there another fucking... Yes, there's... Go, give me someone other than Brett Swain. On, on the Niners? Anywhere. Oh, man. I don't know. Um, oh, the, uh, the, the third safety that I, I like can't even actually remember his name. He's number 30 though. Like he had Reggie actually, Smith. Yeah. Had a, a, a really good play on a near like quasi drop from Marcus Colston on a scene ball. Um, that was like right there at the goal line that he arrives like immediately. Like, so the ball gets there deflects off Colston's hands. And then he shows up right after that with the hit. Um, yeah, that I remember being like, who the fuck is that guy? That was my number one as well. I had him number one. I had Shiloh Rochal number two because uh, he came in for a couple of snaps. Forgot about that dude. Uh, and then Blake Costanzo. Uh, how can you not forget him? Just the guy that made you believe in special team aces again. Because uh, I, re I remember thinking back then that that was someone like that the special teams ace position was someone you needed to pay money to. It's like a thing. Um, yeah, like, 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 yeah, oh yeah, Jim Harbaugh, he knows what he's doing. You pay two million, three million to a special teams ace. You got That's how you build your roster. Uh, like, no, no. I think now I'd probably just get like a really athletic, fast guy that has some kind of developmental purpose elsewhere on the roster, yeah. and be like, run fast and hit that dude. 
<laughs> let's figure it out. out it's like not that hard yeah um next question how many more super bowls does drew Brees have in his career if it were not for the 49ers Oof. at least one <laughs> i mean yeah I, I, I would say one and maybe two because if you think about this season I mean, the, the the only reason that the Saints were playing in the wild card round in 2019 was because, I mean, in, in part because they lost to the Niners. Yeah. And the Niners eat out the first seed. If if they lose the game against Seattle, the Niners do, then the Saints get the bye. And and all of a sudden, the, the playoffs look very different. So I, I do think that yeah. Drew Brees is, is a little light on the finger jewelry uh, directly because of the Niners, whether it be because of that 2011 game or because of the playoffs in 2019. Yeah, I mean that's that's a good point. I kind of wasn't. I was thinking further back than the 2019 season, but uh, yeah, I do, and I do think they absolutely would have won in 2011 had they made it through this game. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know that that they wouldn't have been favorites in 2019 had they ended up with one of the top seeds. Uh, that that offense is just that good again this year yep. with you know Marcus Colston or Kent Gardemike or whomever they've got in that spot. Yep. Um, all right, last question in the lightning round: Which game? was better the divisional round game that we just covered or the clinch by an inch game that the Niners won in Seattle in week 17 this past season. This game, the, the saints game that we just, the saints game. Yeah. That we just did. Yeah. I I like, uh, just so many plays in this game that were like, like, I can't remember, you know, usually you have like a, a really memorable playoff game. Um, and there's like one or two plays that really stand out that become like kind of the memorable plays that get replayed over and over from that game. Um, it feels like there's like what, like six plays like that from this game. Like the, the, and, and there were plenty more. I mean, we had a, there were so many good plays that we had an entire section of the podcast to talk about the good ones that weren't talked about as much. Right. Like um, just insane with the, the number of like huge plays on both sides of this. I still have the rally towel from the who's got it better than us. Nobody. Cause they handed those out at the game. Yep. I, I wasn't at the game. Uh, Cause I, I, I was already in Austin, Texas by that point. Um, but I went on eBay immediately afterwards. <laughs> uh, like, well, one, not immediately, like a week afterwards. And I bought one of those some bitches. Uh, and so I have it up uh, and, and I have it because that just, it's, I, I will never, ever forget the the feeling that I had when we won that game it was just it was absolute euphoria it was it's it's probably um, outside of watching them win um, the Super Bowl in '95 which I was I was you know a younger kid and I hadn't gone through the years of losing having gone through all of those years of sucking so bad and then winning this game in the manner they did it, it's probably one of my top two or three Niner memories and, and I don't know that anything's going to be able to, to top it. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say that, like, this specific game is kind of why I decided to get into football, but this team definitely was a big part of it, right? I mean, this team being um, the first good 49ers team in in a long time and um, finally having hope that they were going to be good for an extended period because of Jim Harbaugh and just kind of, like, where I was at in my life at that point um, was was definitely a big role for like why I decided to get more into football and like eventually make a career out of it. Well, that about does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. We will be posting some video breakdowns on the Patreon of some of the plays that we've talked about during this game. So make sure that you check out that site. It's going to be 
patreon.com forward slash better rivals. Uh, you can always follow me on Twitter. That's at better rivals. David, where can they follow you? That'll be at PFF underscore David. Thanks again for tuning in. And as always, go Niners. Go Niners.